Hey everyone, welcome to the Fitness Devil Podcast. We're on episode 116 and we've got Dr. Gabrielle Fundero on here with us. We're going to talk about gut microbiome, gut health, and dispense with some of the over-exaggerated claims about what's really going on with that and some of the research. We're going to do a little bit of a conversation about sports nutrition. Gabrielle's really experienced with dealing with that. And we're going to talk about her experience traveling and how she manages her nutrition and activity while traveling extensively in the industry. Stay tuned, enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, um, sometimes we get into just like ridiculous shit off air that you don't get uh, privileged to, so you'll hear us kind of almost laughing as, as, as I'm talking here. Uh, today's guest has been on our radar for a while, and we finally managed to borrow some of her time. Uh, she's got a pretty demanding work and travel schedule. So Dr. Gabrielle Fundaro, I hope I pronounced that right? Yeah. Right? Okay, good. Uh, she was kind enough to fit us in, and she's got a lot of knowledge about nutrition, gut health, gut microbiome. Those are some industry buzzwords we're starting to hear. So. We brought someone on who's got a, a extensive educational background in this stuff, so we separate some of the bullshit from what's real about the research. And she's got a PhD in human nutrition, foods, and exercise, and a vast array of professional credentials. I'm not going to try to list them all. Teaching experience, and she's also got a lot of experience competing as a strength and physique athlete. And she works for Association. <laughs> Uh, with our friend, Dr. Mike James Hoffman. So please welcome, everyone. Thank you so much. That was a very gracious introduction. <laughs> yeah, like you need to do less, I think, so that we don't have to, like, it doesn't take like, 10 minutes to say all the stuff you've done. <laughs> I know, I have bad news. I still have more degrees on the way. <laughs> do you actually? I could, like, totally see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, yeah I'm working on my RD right now, and, uh, I'm already like planning, I've got like my 10 year plan for, you know, what am I going to do for my CEUs? I have to get a bunch of specializations and stuff like that. So I just see myself just being a student and, and taking exams forever for the rest of my life. As long as they keep making new ones, I'll, I'll keep At least taking you're like them. that student or like the, we always make, well, we don't make fun of it, but PhDs get made fun of because they're just teachers and they don't actually do anything, but you actually, yeah. you're in the real world too. Yeah, finally. We've had a lot of PhDs on this podcast. I actually meant to like add it all up because you go through like Brad Dieter, Mike T. Nelson, Mike Azatella, James mm-hmm. Hoffman, just listed, and probably 30 or four, 30 more, I'd say. Um, you mentioned exams. I just keep having these like horrible dreams about being back in school and taking exams. It's like I'm now reading Harry Potter through the series. And, like they went through book five and they're doing the exams. It's like, this creeping terror of like, oh my god, exam weeks. I'm so glad I'm out of that world. But like, Harry Potter. Well, because everything about me lately has been Harry Potter because I've been binging them, so I'm sneaking it in. Oh man, I've got some like masochistic tendencies or something because I'm like, yes, more stress. Like, just keep piling it on. That's the PhD. Pile higher, higher, and deeper. Well, at least you like you're smart now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's what people say. I just say like I'm just good at learning. <laughs> I try to make it a, a skill and not a character trait. I think it, it's a prerequisite, like for being part of RP, is you have to be really fucking smart. Like if, if anyone listening to this, I'm hoping you've heard Mike or James talk. Like every time to speak, and you just shut up and you're in because the 
the level of sheer intelligence that comes out of these two people, holy sweet, they are gone. So they're always trying to get on. <laughs> Yeah, you should hear them when they're, yeah, when they're on podcasts. I, when, I, when I first started traveling with them, I thought we were going to be like sitting around a coffee table, like drinking tea and having intellectual conversations and stuff. But then that's that's just not the case at all. Like outside of our normal, you know, outside of our presentations and stuff, and even like just sitting in the back of the room when someone else was presenting, um, that was completely <laughs> life changing for me. I was like, oh man, and. You know, I'm traveling with, and I think people probably, maybe they think that too. They're like, oh, the RP crew, they must just sit around and like, you know, wax intellectual. I'm going to do my best mic impression. Fuck no. It's probably yeah. all like Crocs and Dragon Ball Z and shit. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I get to be like this videographer when we go to the gym and it's a, it's a good time. <laughs> Well, let's actually get into some of the, the stuff that your expertise is in and you've been featured most prominently about. Um, and like I said off air, we take a lot of pride in not asking those routine questions that our guests always get. But I don't think there's any avoiding some discussion of gut health, gut microbiome, mm -hmm. which, you know, again, is your area that you've been talking most about. So I was hoping you could have hit on a few thoughts. Maybe we could be a little different than what you're routinely asking or answering. Uh, there's the promising implications of a future of gut microbiome research. That's one. The exaggerated mm -hmm. claims and misconceptions of the impact of gut microbiome, because we know people mm -hmm. are making it sound like it's a holy grail. And yeah. then some practical advice for people just to simply feel better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there is, there's an author that I want to recommend to people. Um, and this person is really one of the sort of forefathers of gut microbiome research. And it's Patrice Connie, C-A-N-I is the last name. So Patrice was the first person to sort of characterize what we would, uh, what we call metabolic endotoxemia. So it's a state of sort of low-grade inflammation. So it's an immune response to a specific compound that comes from certain bacteria in the gut. And this metabolic endotoxemia has been associated with various metabolic diseases, um, including type 2 diabetes. So Connie has recently published an article stating specifically that we are starting to develop erroneous claims and correlations and that there are no causative links between the gut microbiome and anything. No causative links. Yeah. And so when people are saying like, oh, we're going to do a gut reset, a cleanse, candida cleanse, we're going to starve out bad bacteria promote the growth of good bacteria. We don't even have specific um, profiles for a healthy gut or an unhealthy gut. We can't reliably influence only good, quote unquote, or like beneficial microbes without affecting potentially pathogenic microbes. So that's one thing that I think has been completely overstated and then people are making these giant extrapolations based on correlations. So how do we end up with these crazy correlations? Well, we just kind of have to have a general understanding of statistics. And like the more um, that you test something, the more likely you are to come up with a false positive. So we have like P less than 0 0.05. Well, there's still a 5% chance that whatever your result is, is based on chance and not the actual intervention. And when you're looking at hundreds of species of bacteria, 
then there's a large chance that you will end up with a false positive. You'll think that something is based on the test result, but it's really falling within that 5% chance. So we end up coming up with these spurious correlations, and then from there we might derive causation from it as well just because we're humans and that's what we want. Like when people ask me for, you know, um, uh, ways to support good gut health and things like that, or can I eat this? Can I not eat this? Is this good slash bad for the gut? And I'm like, well, it kind of depends. And we don't really know, like they don't want those answers. You know, we want to see that there's a specific microbe that's linked to a disease and we can target that microbe and then get that disease at its core. But we still have no idea whether changes in the microbiome are cause of or um, a side effect of these various disease states. And it almost so, creates, an, I was going to say, it almost creates an environment to the public where, like you said, people want that. And then mm -hmm. it creates this environment where people can give them that without yeah. like, even understanding it. And it's, it's, it's a really good moneymaker. And like, oh, yeah. Tagline, like, fix mm -hmm. this, fix this. And they just add gut to it and it goes off. Yeah. People are recommending, oh, you got to have probiotic food and certain types of food, which mm -hmm. I think it's important also look at this. Like, there's got to be some stuff that's generally good, healthy advice, like eating yeah. better quality food, more fruit, more vegetables. Like, we know that stuff's safe. But mm -hmm. at the same time, people are getting really carried away with a lot of these recommendations and making yes. positive claims that you, they can't back up. Yeah, exactly. And that's so, I, when I was talking, I was on with um, uh, Greg Knuckles and Eric Trexler, and Eric was saying that, you know, people used to ask him about his study in nitrates, and he would be like, well, you know, here's some foods you can eat, and like, you then, even if it doesn't do anything, you're accidentally eating a diet that has lots of fruits and vegetables in it. And that's what I tell people, like, maybe this does nothing to your gut, but like, does it have to? Is that the only way to get you to eat some fruits and vegetables? Like, just to say, oh, this is going to remodel your gut microbiome. Like, eat fruits and vegetables. It sounds so sexy. And like, that's a recommendation we've been making for, I don't know, since nutritional science started, maybe. <laughs> I struggle to think that anyone who at this point has yet, for any other reason, to eat fruits and vegetables, that is going to be the tipping point for them. I'm just not buying that. Like, aren't generally yeah. like, the, the autoimmune protocols and all that? It's like ends up just eating better foods. Like, I know uh, they're specific, to it, but like they end up just eating better to some extent. But like, so, so the uh, so there actually is an autoimmune protocol diet. There's an AIP diet, and it is really just I've looked at it, and it's a willy nilly um, exclusion. Yeah. type of diet it's, it's an elimination type of diet but their whole their whole premise is that specific foods are inflammatory and we know that that's not the case that it's it's dietary patterns that are inflammatory but they they knock out the strangest things they like are going to knock out with nightshades or you know specific plants that yeah. you know contain compounds that if you put them into cell culture will cause an inflammatory response but like in humans you know are not going to do anything um, so I think what happens is that people end up with these crazy elimination diets and then either it's one of two things, either they are removing a food or foods that are not digesting well, either because they have an enzyme in, uh, deficiency and intolerance or because as humans, we just don't produce the digestive enzymes to break everything down. So that could be one thing. So you actually removed a food that's upset your stomach in some way. Or the other thing is their diet becomes so limited that they then lose body fat and that alone has positive health outcomes. So it's like, those are probably, you know, the two greatest factors. Like you're not, your, your overall dietary habits might change, 
to, yeah, be a little bit more on the side of like nutritious foods or just excluding foods that are hyper palatable and extremely energy dense. Well, I think that even just that, like, that's a sweet way of explaining it. Cause I think when a lot of these protocols come out, like even the AIP and you can add paleo and all the shit on it, is mm-hmm. that they just prescribe it because it works, but they're not actually using it as a diagnostic tool. Just, like they, they're just basically, it works mm-hmm. because it works, not because of yeah. maybe it's this, this or this, but who cares? Even if it's, even if it's placebo and it works, it works, but at least have an understanding of what it is. You're not dangerous. I'll give you a yes. example of something that I've seen in, in practice with a couple of people I know, and then I'll get your thoughts on it, but like the carnivore mm-hmm. diet. Oh, carnivore yeah. Diet is an extreme elimination diet. And of course there's a lot mm-hmm. of argument about it, what have you, but it also tends to be hypoallergenic because of how much it eliminates. And so like there's one person in my life who feels fucked on better when they're eating carnivore diet. Now I know long term <laughs> probably not good for them, but mm-hmm. there's so many implications, at least with gut microbiome or, or your broader thoughts on say carnivore diet. Like, what yeah, you- so um yeah, so the carnivore diet is one uh, people are probably aware of. It, re- it removes all foods except for animal flesh and organ meats. So, um, you know, potential nutrient deficiencies aside from, you know, that level of exclusion, which we, you know, when we're looking at a nutrient deficiency, you're not even going to end up with something subclinical for a very long period of time. So people can probably exist on this without risk of death or disease for, for quite a long time because vitamins and minerals are recycled. So, you know, we're not going to be losing out on them. But what we do find is that um, in, in terms of effects on the microbiome, we can see changes from dietary interventions taking place within 24 hours. So once your new diet reaches the large intestine or the colon where most of your microbiome is located, those bacteria, those microbes, it's not just bacteria, so bacteria, fungi, um, methanogens, um, these various microbes adapt and respond to that dietary change. So now there's going to be a change in nutrient content There may also be a change in pH due to changes in bile acid content from fat digestion. So just like any ecosystem, they will respond and adapt to changes in nutrient availability. But they're not just responding to nutrient availability. They're also responding to each other. So they are competing for real estate and for nutrients. So there have been some really interesting studies that have come out looking at just short-term interventions. So what happens within Uh, 24 hours, what happens within five days, what happens within three weeks, and then longer, looking at some of these dietary extremes. So at the very extreme end, when we look at interventions in humans who are put on a standard American diet that contains refined carbohydrates and dairy and animal products, that uh, or someone who's put on something that has really like no no carbohydrates at all and no fiber, that we generally see a significant change in the profile of the microbiome from baseline. And we don't see that same change when people are put on a more plant-based diet that still contains carbohydrates, because usually the baseline diet contains carbohydrates. So a few things might happen there. One, depending on um, your previous diet, the microbes will respond to each other a little bit differently. So you might see that you get an increase in uh, mucin degraders. So mucins are uh, compounds that are found in the mucus layer that protects your large intestine. 
So in rodents, we've seen reproducibly that if you starve them, quote unquote, of fiber and carbohydrates, they will actually go to that mucus layer and thin it out. They will actually consume that mucus layer. And that reduces the, the layer of protection between potential pathogens in your gut and the intestinal cells and the immune cells beneath. So that could potentially be problematic because we want to have a thick bilayer of mucus. So if we start to thin that out, that could potentially be problematic. We also see some reductions in some of the more beneficial bacteria, like bifidobacteria. That one seems particularly finicky when we starve the uh, bacteria of carbohydrates and fiber the levels of bifidobacteria fall. We also will generally see a reduction in butyrate and butyrate producers. And butyrate is a short-chain fatty acid that's considered to be very beneficial. So at the extremes, if we have a diet that is very low in fiber or completely lacking carbohydrates, we do see unfavorable changes in diversity. We see reduction in that mucus layer. When we then go back to a normal diet, then we might see that the bacteria um, grow back in ways that don't look like our previous baseline. And that's because they're now competing with each other for those new nutrients. And if some of the beneficial bacteria, their numbers fall uh, really, really low, it can be hard for them to bounce back. So this was actually done in, um, there was a, a study done in military personnel and they were put on three weeks of an MRE-only diet. So MREs are about 40% calories from fat. They're extremely low in fiber. So that's meals ready to eat. So it's what military personnel will eat, like out on the field and in trainings and things like that. And um, so what they did was they took their um, stool samples after three weeks of this MRE diet, and they grilled them in sort of a, um, an artificial gastrointestinal tract. And then they fed them a resistant starch, which is a, a carbohydrate that's accessible to, to those bacteria, and they really like to use that as an energy source. And they found that those bacteria didn't respond in sort of the normal ways that they would in uh, after just eating a, a habitual diet. So if you have a habitual diet that has carbohydrates and you feed resistant starch, everyone can kind of share it. If you have a diet that's really, really low in fiber and carbohydrates and you see die off of some of these um, specific resistant starch degraders or those who are relying on the resistant starch degraders, then you see that they grow back in sort of strange ways. So they don't really bounce back. So that could be another potential um, problem, although I don't like to use that word as sort of like, a, uh, it's, it's kind of a strong word. We don't know if it could be problematic, but it could be an unfavorable change. So if you have these significant dietary interventions that are reducing nutrient availability to those microbes, then they might not be able to bounce back very well. You might be just left with very low diversity. So that's at sort of the extremes. When we look at omnivores versus vegans versus vegetarians, they're not really terribly different. As long as you're getting some form of microbe accessible carbohydrate in your diet, you're going to be okay. At the very extreme with no fiber at all, then yeah, you will see reductions in diversity. What about uh, high sugar, high fat, high processed food diets? And I mean, again, I'm not using that language. Like those things are universally bad. You can't have right. You yeah, know, a lot of people do eat a very, very high level of these foods in their diet. So, mm -hmm. are there any implications with that kind of diet? 
Yeah, it actually looks pretty similar to some of the other extremes that we would see with um, fiber deprivation. So it's again, we see just a reduction in diversity. So diversity refers to the number of species and then the relative abundance of those species and then the genetic relatedness of those species. So one thing that is actually emerging um, and this kind of gets to your first question about what's a little bit more exciting in the field, is that we're finding that it's, it's a little bit more important to look at the um, genetic diversity, so the functional diversity, not just who's there, but what are they doing? So we're looking at the overall functional capacity of the gut rather than just who's there. And what's really interesting is that when we look at either healthy controls or we look at individuals who are obese um, in, in different countries, that specific profiles of quote-unquote healthy gut, healthy control look very different by region. And then characteristic uh, changes, characteristic differences of in individuals who have obesity also cluster by region. So the the taxonomy of who's there looks different from country to country. But there's a functional convergence in that the functional capacity of those of the gut is actually pretty much the same across humans. So that means that different microbes can perform the same functions. So functionally, an individual with obesity or an individual eating a standard American diet, they'll have more reduced functional capacity than an individual who's eating a less processed diet. Why? Because if we're eating a highly processed diet, there's not a lot of nutrient going to the large intestine because all those the fibers and things that are harder for us to break down have been removed from the diet. So we have very few microbe accessible carbohydrates, the indigestible to human carbohydrates that will pass to the large intestine. And that's one theory that actually in westernized cultures who in where we're eating a lot of these standard American diets and refined diets that we have sort of, um, a, I use the term kind of tongue in cheek, but like an epidemic of dysbiosis or loss of diversity and unfavorable changes in relative abundance of species. So there are some researchers that kind of postulate, do we even have healthy controls in the United States? When you compare us to individuals from rural communities or agrarian societies like the Hadza and in, in Africa, they have they have strains that we don't even have, like at, at least not in amounts that are detectable. So it's like, are they truly the healthy gut because they're eating like 100, 150 grams of fiber per day? Or is it us because we sort of, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a colonialism thing where like we have the healthy gut because, you know, we're like in the U.S. and, and the Americas. I don't know. <laughs> we're in Canada, so we don't have that viewpoint. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> just like Americans. <laughs> I don't even want to imagine what eating 150 grams of fiber a day feels like. That's terrifying. Yeah, and it's it's like though. So in and that's another thing too is that you know we so we've evolved, we've co-evolved with these microbes and they are passed down generationally. So you kind of you get it from your mama, but like literally you actually do. And so if we have these generational. Um, like sort of a loss of diversity from one generation to the next, we lose some of that functional capacity. So we have evolved to maybe only be able to handle up to 70 grams of fiber per day. That's kind of the upper limit recommendation. Whereas they, if they have these strains that we don't even have, those strains then are able to process those fibers and turn them either into gas or to short chain fatty acids, and they can adapt to that. 
Now, does that necessarily mean that it's, I don't know, optimal? That's the word that everyone likes to use. Not necessarily, because we've also seen that, um, you know, in, in children who are brought up with, in, in states of malnourishment who have like kwashiorkor or some other, you know, protein, um, energy, uh, malnutrition, that their, their guts also, um, seem to have some form of dysbiosis. So their, their, uh, microbiomes don't mature at the same rate as other children and they have generally kind of a failure to thrive. Um, so, you know, we still need to have nutrition in the diet that is accessible to us as humans and then like leave some for the microbes also, but we can't have too much in either direction. Maybe at some point we'll, well, we'll, we'll just use Americans. Maybe they'll evolve to like handle the processed foods like better. And then all the other people that, have, that are skinnier and better, they're going to get Americanized and McDonald's is going to come in and they're going to get just pillaged because they're not going to be able to handle it. And so maybe that's part of the evolution of it all. It really, I mean, yeah. You know, like it is passed down generationally. Maybe we'll just get used to eating shit and they'll find a way to mm-hmm. make shit and, or whatever, chicken salad and from chicken shit. That, whatever there you that. go. Like, yes. You know, yeah. We'll just be, so we could just be like human, we'll be human centipede from yeah. like after this, we can just, that's all we'll do. It'll be, it'll be human. It'll just be fecal transplants and that's all we'll eat. Oh God. <laughs> no, but it's, it's interesting because I think like that even that understanding of let's just say ge- geographical and all this stuff, like that's a really shitty concept for a lot of these tribes because you can't paint everyone with the same brush. Yeah. And like, and so that's where I guess we see the spectrum of like, it works for me and it didn't work for these people, but like it almost creates tribes, but it's actually just science. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, it can work. And you know, the other thing that I forgot cause I went on a huge rant, but the other thing with, um, with carnivore is that you can still, um, as I mentioned, you might be removing something that you're not digesting well, but the thing is there are plenty of things that are universally maldigested. And so if you eat them in a large enough amount, which sometimes it's not a large amount, like sorbitol doesn't take much, that's a sugar alcohol, universally will cause GI upset. Or the fibers that we find in, um, in beans, universally, we just, we don't have the digestive enzyme to break those down. So like, yes, obviously we have a song about it that like probably everyone knows. And like yeah. I, when I was in... <laughs> Yeah, you guys have that too. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and like when I was um when I was in Miami, there was a an attendee there who said, "Oh yeah, we have a saying in Spanish about avocado. Like if you eat a ripe avocado, you're bound to have gas." But you know, there's there's a cue. Like I just don't know the Spanish phrase, but that's the translation. So that doesn't rhyme. I know. I know. I can't. <laughs> I, I, I can't come up with Spanish with that accent. It's, yeah. like, it's it's like I can't remember the comedy routine, but it's someone making fun of like Enrique Iglesias, and he says anything that sounds fantastic. Like I could be your hero, and it's like I could be your hero. Yes, so, I'm sure his yes. Spanish just probably comes off you, a little better. We need a Spanish listener to give us the actual because, like that, that that didn't do it justice. No, I know. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to come up with like a. A rhyme right now, but like now I'm on the spot and I'm like, oh, what? Like, I wonder if if uh, Joey Antonio actually speaks Spanish or if he just he's probably like laughing right now, like you fucked it up. I thought I know. I'll have to ask Eric. So I was down there with Eric Bustillo, so I'm gonna ask 
ask him um, what what that phrase actually is. I actually met Eric the same time I met uh, Joey down in Dallas at an ISSN uh, oh. conference. And Joey's actually bringing an ISSN one here to Edmonton this summer. And I'm going to go down to the national one in Daytona Beach. So he wanted me to come down. This is perfect. Talk about ISSN. Yeah, that's, that's why I did it. Yes. Just trying to get you there. Well, we'll just let the audience know these segue like, and stuff. Smart. Uh, so yes. So we sports nutritionists through ISSN. And you mm-hmm. can what that is if you want. But how has the understanding of sports nutrition evolved in, in basically the last several years? And what traditional ideas essentially remain sacred? And are firmly held beliefs by some communities that just like need to be debunked or taken to the farm or shot. Um, <laughs> where coach, where that, like, what needs to be amended at this point that you think is like super important? Oh man, uh, that's such a good question. And I want to like stress to people that nutritional science as a whole, not like sport nutrition, not exercise science specific nutrition, but like just nutritional science as a whole is only like 100 years old. So still very new, very much in its infancy. Um, and I think just in the past year, we've seen probably the biggest paradigm shifts, maybe in the past two years, in terms of like the importance of, you know, nutrient timing, the, the post-workout anabolic window, um, the comparing continuous versus intermittent energy restriction. Um, Danny Lennon just put out a really cool um, article on chrononutrition and how, you know, we have this like pendulum swing of like, it really, you have to eat at specific times and like doesn't matter at all when you eat and I was like oh just like everything else there's context and maybe it matters a little bit but we have to like create this hierarchy of like what matters most and that's where people get kind of caught up is they think like everything matters equally and it's like no not necessarily you take care of the big rocks first and then you kind of pile on from there to you know optimize kind of like the rp pyramids the stuff based on <laughs> the eric helms pyramids yes and i made i made like i made like gut and microbiome pyramids i'm like the hierarchy of influence on you know microbial diversity and things like that so up, like, they're all jack dudes and like you guys are all like huge and like have muscles it should be like upside down <laughs> like the v kind of like, yes no like the lats oh, oh man because uh, the know. important shit is supposed to be lever at the bottom, Dean. That's why yes. it's a pyramid. I think everyone just likes pyramids. It's like an easy concept <laughs> universally for humans. Like, no matter where you're mm-hmm. from, if we get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Down, right? Yes. That's it. No, I won't get into alien stuff. You believe that shit? No, but I think it's hilarious. Anyways. Um, right, we Aliens. What are you going to be taking out that <laughs> shit? <laughs> What the alien, you heard that theory? Like the, the alien? Yes, I've heard that. Okay. Theory. Like the people that believe that. Like, mm-hmm. No, I don't believe it at all. Take that back. I don't believe. It. Hey, when can be taken out back and shot? <laughs> oh man! You know, I don't think I feel like in for the okay, okay. You know what? I what the thing that I don't even know if it's a really a sport nutrition thing, but people have asked me about this. I, I guess because of the gut health thing. But it's the idea that, like, you can't eat after your workout because you're in, like, a sympathetic state. Like, sympathetic nervous system tone is too elevated. And so, like, you can't eat after you work out. You have to wait until – and I'm like, okay, um, yeah, we do have an increase in sympathetic nervous system tone during exercise. But that doesn't make us unable to assimilate nutrients. Like, we still can. Above 85% VO2 max, it's not – optimized but that doesn't mean that it stops and once you stop working out like if you stay in a state of like 
increased sympathetic nervous system tone for hours and like your heart rate is still elevated and you're still sweating and breathing heavily for like an hour after your workout is done, go to the hospital. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't be eating because you might be having a heart attack, but it's not like something that is just uncontrollable that we maintain homeostasis without trying too hard because the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system interact with each other. In some cases, they will both synapse on an organ, in other cases not. So we do a really good job of just coming back to uh, a, a normal balanced state after we eat, or I mean after we exercise. So, and I don't even know where that came from, but people ask me about that a lot. It probably came with the polyvagal theory, but people take things out of context and they just apply it to like everything. So it's like, yes. if you're in a sympathetic state, like when you're fucking driving, like we're in a sympathetic state because there's shit going on. Like we're in a way different environment than before. Like you're fine. But then they take yes. it and like, you can't be full parasympathetic and sympathetic. Like, yeah, no. So just eat. Yeah, like the only way that happens is if you sever your vagus nerve and then you're just going to die anyway. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> Yeah, even when you're sleeping, you're probably – anyways, like it's just like it's, it's just like the diet stuff. It gets taken to extremes, but it sounds really cool. But mm -hmm. the weird thing is if they believe it, they're probably going to eat better anyways and be a little less stressed. So it's like you almost just let them believe whatever. I'm like, yeah, just do that. Like it's not – Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, is this good for your mental health? Are you like meditating after your workout? Okay, fine. Go ahead and do that. Just um, – that's the only yeah. part about being a PhD and a scientist. Like you're almost like held the standard. You have to tell the truth. I would just lie to them knowing full well it's fine, but it's like, I know, I know it's going to get the result, but it's just like uh, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yes. I, I think it's case dependent. That's actually a good one though, because I think like from your point of view, like th there's a lot of li like people, like that's a new thing, like the whole parasympathetic, sympathetic. it's not new, but it's kind of sexy now, but mm -hmm. I can see how that can be taken out of control. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think like the sort of like the dogmatic attachment to diets in general is frustrating. Like people who are diehard keto, diehard carnivore, diehard vegan, or you know what I've noticed lately, and this is surprising to me, I mean, I actually messaged, so there's a person that I follow on Instagram who always puts out really awesome content, but they shared this thing that was like comparing beef versus the Beyond Meat Burger, and they're like, ingredients, beef, or beef burgers, just beef, and this other one contains all of these ingredients, and I was like, and uh, welcome to food science. This is where we make some foods taste like other foods. It's a miracle of chemistry, and this is very chemophobic, and that makes me frustrated because I'm like, don't get, you know, like, basically you shoot your darlings like if you have biases that are that strong like ooh, beyond beef burger ha beyond meat burger has all these ingredients at no point like if someone else posted that you'd be like uh all food is chemicals guess what even the beyond meat burger and even the beef chemicals so like let's not get on our high horses about how much better beef is and i'm not saying that just like, i ate beef for 32 years you know it's delicious the only reason I don't now is because I love cows and I think they're adorable and so I don't want to eat them. But like the fact that you can take a food and make it taste like another food is awesome and I have no problems with that. This, it's like the, if anyone's ever seen like this meme that shows a banana and the lists all of the things mm -hmm. in a banana and it's a lot of very, very complex words. Yes. Words, like all food, even the natural stuff is made up of a ton of vitamins, minerals, and both chemicals. So yeah, yeah. anyone who uses that silly logic about 
don't eat anything that a, what, a sixth grader couldn't pronounce. It's like, mm, guys, that's some pretty lazy logic. And yes. make sure you're out of sympathetics. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, this will be good. I, I, and we talked about, but like, what's your thought on game changers? Because this is sports specific. Mm. Like, half the fucking thing was like, as an athlete, you want to fucking eat vegetables only. Um, does that need to be taken out back and shot? Or like, where, where's, where's your thoughts on the continuum of that thought process? Yeah, I think veganism needs a better documentary. <laughs> Thus far, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> or, or just an actual, I don't know if, that, if anyone has ever seen Food Evolution, but Food Evolution is about biotechnology. And it's got Neil deGrasse Tyson in it. It's a really cool, um, you know, and it's still a documentary. So there obviously are still going to be some bodies there. Like, it is what it is. But I think that it's probably the only, like, it's actually just about science. It's just about biotechnology. It's about genetically modified organisms and their evolution. Probably people don't know they've been in our food supply since like the late 1990s with the rainbow papaya in Hawaii. Um, but no one was losing their shit over it until, you know, just recently. So with game changers, you know, you can take, it's like, it's like people trying too hard on a first date. Like you are enough. Just, just be it's okay to be vegan we just need to tell people how to be vegan in a really good way that's supportive of health and performance is it the easiest way to get all of the nutrients that you need no but that's not why people are doing it they're doing it because a they love animals and it's ethical reasons okay or b they may be under the misconception that it is intrinsically healthier and it's not so they have looked at, you know, longitudinal studies. We've been able to look at, like, when you're vegan for a long period of time, how is it better than not being vegan? And it looks like probably what happened way back in the day when we were doing these studies is those vegans were eating a lot of unprocessed whole foods. The diet was sort of intrinsically lower in fat and processed foods and hyperpalatable foods and maybe lower in calories. So they had to be what appeared to be some cardioprotective benefits to eating that diet. Okay, that's cool, but there are ways to fashion whatever diet in ways that it can be cardioprotective. So eating plenty of fiber, making sure you're in energy balance, emphasizing some of those omega-3 fatty acids because we probably don't get enough of those in the American diet, and they happen to be found in nutrient-dense foods like fatty fish and nuts and things like that so it's like you can make any diet for the most part cardioprotective in, in some way now in terms of other diet uh, in terms of other diseases like um colorectal cancer yeah then we probably are going to say like okay maybe carnivore diet is not really the best setup to be protective against colorectal cancer because it sort of like ticks all the boxes on things that are seem to promote colorectal cancer um, sorry, carnivore, carnivore guys. They're not being dogmatic. This is just based on like what we find in the literature. Maybe that will change going forward. And if I see really good evidence to the contrary, I too will change my opinion, but it's not going to happen until then. Um, so yeah, Game Changers just was trying too hard to take something that is a good idea and make it like really fancy and sexy. And it's like, no, you know what? Just go out and be yourself, veganism. And like, let us do you in the best way <laughs> why, do they do, why do they do that like it's just it's just I, well, 
it, it, there, there's an agenda behind it because mm-hmm. like any tribal, very strong tribal belief system, these nutritional ideologies become religious ideologies. Yes. And then the adherence to it want other people to convert their, quote, religion. So they go out and they proselytize and they promote mm-hmm. it. And we see that keto is particularly nasty with that, where yes. I think people, in order to validate their own choice of doing it, want the people around them to also do it. But they, so don't, have a sh- like mm-hmm. but they don't even have a shitty documentary. They will. They're they will. <laughs> yeah, they will. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did they? Have, well, yeah, yeah. Not like, yeah, they really don't have one yet. Not one that we know about. Like, yeah, I, I, it's like super impressive that like the vegans have had two ones that have blown up the world. And like, I don't. It, it obviously works. It's just like, mm-hmm. why can't they just make a better one? Like at this point, like, they're, yeah. just, like they're pissing off all the wrong people. So it's just, I, but the, but then they're selling stuff. So I mean, there's, I, there's very strong ideology behind veganism. It tends to fall under, I guess, suppose the ideologically social left the far left and then any ideological point be it right or left uh, that way you're going to get some really strong belief systems and they're really going to push them with keto intermittent fasting some of these other things they don't take on that kind of ideological moral bent right so veganism is mm-hmm. in that sense so i think that's why you see that much and not to mention the fact that james cameron behind it yeah, a company that is promoting vegan protein. So there is a yep. huge agenda, and Cameron is one of the better storytellers in the history of Hollywood. So what mm-hmm. is a produced bias do the, movie. Do the Avatar people? Do they only eat? Do they eat vegetables? I have no fucking. <laughs> that'd, that'd be <laughs> that'd be my argument. It's like you had your little <laughs> the spread at his future movies will probably have lots of his protein at it. So. Yeah, that's oh, like, yes. I to, like I want to see if it goes that deep. Like, not that this has nothing to do with like cuts or nutrition, but I want to see like if there's new movies if like everyone just eats vegan stuff. Like that'd be hilarious. Uh-huh. If it goes like that because like he still makes movies. Like his documentary mm-hmm. probably wasn't that hard for him to make comparatively to all this shit he makes. I mean, we are talking about the same world that birthed and promotes Scientology. So yes, know, but see, like that's so. It's almost like vegans are getting that point. Like Scientology is so stupid and it's funny. Like there's still people that believe it, but like generally people think it's crazy. But like and vegans are gonna do that because they're coming up with crazy stuff. Like we need a better documentary because I, all the vegan people I know are pretty sweet. I think long term, yeah, militant vegans are the worst enemy, their own worst enemy of promoting you know veganism in modern society or the acceptance of it. Anyone who's mm-hmm. on the extreme fringes of an ideology tends to be. The reason why there is such strong opposition to that ideology from other camps. Oh yeah. Let's yeah. get. Sorry, I didn't want to bring up game changes. This you brought up vegans. I know, like, you're, it's just like I wonder what your viewpoint is because you're a pretty logical. We person. had Richard Thibodeau on recently, and he wrote a really good article about it. So he kind of broke down game changes, his thoughts. But let's actually talk about you know how much you travel. You know, travel with the Airbnb mm. and Apple experience. So. Actually, I'll, I'll let Dean ask you. Oh, I don't know. Which, where are we? Where are we? Not on your question. Oh, we we actually, <laughs> sorry. When we do these, we always script the, the. I love fucking with it like this. We actually do this on purpose because we <laughs> we do have questions and we usually flow so freely. But every once in a while, it's funny to make people realize. Wait a second, we're clumsy fucking with a script. <laughs> well, the thing is, we talked about this before. Like you've been traveling and like mm-hmm. we'll call it new on the scene, but you've been around for a while. But like it's kind of like new to be traveling and speaking. Oh yeah. How has your experience of traveling in the industry been for you, and, and what do you what do you do to remain active and essentially manage nutrition and working out when you're away from home and away from the routine? 
Yeah, so this was a pretty steep learning curve. So I started um, traveling back in October um, 2018. So I went from, that was my first trip. I went, I, I'm kind of loosely stationed in Atlanta. So I went out to Southern California um, for a seminar out there. And then I started traveling internationally that following January. So I went out of the country January, March, April, May, June, um, I can't remember if I did July or not, August, um, October. Yeah, and it was insane. Like I literally, so after my three week trip in June, my lease was going to end at my old house. And I was like, I'm literally going out of the country every, almost every month for like at least a week at a time. Like why am I going to try and rent a place? So I literally just like have been nomadic since then. So I have, you know, an address where I can get things sent. But for many, many months, for six months-ish, I was just living out of Airbnbs. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And, like, some of my Airbnbs were, like, I have a microwave and a mini fridge. Um, So, yeah, you you just – it it brought to, like, quite a few things. So, for one thing, when we're talking about, like, oh, you know, make nutritious choices and things like that. And, like, you know, Instagram is kind of the worst for being super – I don't know what the word is, like ableist, I guess. But they're like, here's your gut health, acai bowl with 27 different plants and flax seeds and chia seeds and cacao nibs. And I'm like, uh, I just walked a mile and a half to get to a like tiny corner store. And I have some, um, f- some like freezer burnt broccoli cuts. And all of the canned tuna is in oil. And there's like no fresh meat here you know so it's like can we bring this back to reality for a second and i had posted about this like this is my meal tonight i'm having canned salmon and chickpeas and green beans all from cans because i don't have access because like if you're talking about someone who is not making a ton of money but even someone who's who's working a full-time job you know they might not have a car they might be able to just only walk to the corner store and if they're living in a food desert like their access to what we would consider to be nutrient dense foods is extremely limited so i just want to point that out to people like most people in the us are not going to be able to get that oh you know 30 plants a week that's just not going to happen for them so let's make it a little bit more realistic and attainable for most people i just say like Hey, just try to eat some plants at each meal, whatever it is. If it's from a can, if it's from the freezer, just do your best. But that's one thing. Um, and then the other thing would be looking at like differences in accessibility around the world. So we don't, like, a lot of our recommendations, especially like for going out to eat and things like that, seem to be very like U.S. centric or like westernized. And then we go to other places in the world, you just don't have those options. So I think that's something else that we could do a little bit better. Um, But yeah, I basically like uh, have switched from, you know, roasting my veggies and stuff and doing meal prep to I eat stuff out of bags and the microwave. And like, you know, I mean, just do your best. Try to find things that are shelf stable and that can go on a plane. Reminds me of even like, you probably not familiar with Canada, but like if you're in Saskatchewan, like I used to travel and do work there and it's like small towns and you basically mm-hmm. go to gas stations because like small towns would have stuff closed at night. And like, you've ever like tried to like on a plan in small towns, like roasted chicken, like a, like a roasted chicken or like some gas station food. Like it's fucking hard. You can yes. make it work. It's just like, it's not react. Like the, you're not getting your fucking 
huge ass salad at a gas station. Monster energy and gas stations. But like sometimes yeah. monster yes. energy fits in, and like the the ones like the Java ones have protein in them, as opposed <laughs> to like some of the other ones. It's like well, fuck, like I don't have anything else. Like that's gonna work because there's no milk at this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just interesting because you can make it work. It's just you have to almost release some of your notions on what nutrition is because sometimes it's better than nothing. And that's gonna be great for your gut yes. profile. Yeah, like my gut profile. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. I'm surprised I'm still alive. Yeah. No, that's actually, this is the one. So, um, because like with, with traveling so much, like you're on planes and stuff, I was like, man, traveler's diarrhea is like a legit concern. So, this is the one area in which I have, I, I reliably use a probiotic. And people are always like, oh, do you have any brands you recommend? And no, but the strain that I use is Esculardi, it's actually a yeast. And um, there's quite a lot of evidence that it actually can help with the prevention of traveler's diarrhea and even sort of reduce the severity of it. So I've um, never heard of traveler's diarrhea. Maybe I, like, like I, I, I get the concept is, but why, why does it happen when you travel? Just because people are dirty and don't wash their hands and you're in like, yeah, you're in, you're in close, like think about how many people, so you're on a plane with hundreds of people and everyone's using like four bathrooms. So yeah, touch that stuff. Like I'm fucked up, but like I'll try not to touch the handles of the doors and stuff. Just like I'm oh, yeah. not like super crazy about it, but like in airports, like especially in other countries, like they're shitty. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of them, like, oh yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm weird that way. But yeah, uh, wash your hands. Yeah. yeah, but even just you know people preparing food and things like that. Everything. It's just you're just you know uh, exposed to various pathogens. So that's also changed because probably like maybe a year ago, I think I was a little bit more skeptical about probiotic use and now there are you know limited but effective applications so that was another big change but um yeah and then like in terms of staying active it's basically i have three gym memberships so this is me that's that's my privilege like i i you know i have three gym memberships so that wherever i go in the world i have access to a gym and usually the first thing that happens when we get off the plane before we go to the airbnb we like go to the gym and get food so it's just creating structure wherever you can you know trying to adapt right away to the new time zone and like getting your training in i usually try to deload um on the weeks that i'm traveling internationally because like my sleep is just so fucked and i'm exhausted and like i just can't function if I'm up for 30 hours, it's just movement for the sake of movement sometimes. What's the shoes um, you guys pick up when you go, like, the like we have to make it work. <laughs> we have to make it fit our macros. Like, oh, what yeah. shit you guys get? Okay, so when we were just in um, Seoul, yeah. there, so I'm, I'm pescatarian now, so it was a little bit more challenging for me. And actually, you know, I, I work with quite a few vegan clients. Um, and I think this also really helps me empathize with, you know, the challenges when your diet is a little bit more restricted. So, um, the, it was like, I, okay, so the tuna was all packed in oil. Um, there were not a lot of, there were no like microwave vegetable bags to, you know, steam the veggies. Um, so, and Mike wanted, you know, Mike is like, he, he counts macros too. And we'll always kind of like look out for each other. Like, Hey, here's, I found some good options. We ate surimi, like that, that crab imitation crab stuff the entire week, like almost at every meal. It was, I, I ate surimi. Um, I ate hard. So they sold hard boiled eggs, which is nice. Yeah. And then just like cucumbers. I would just like have a cucumber in my backpack and, or like bell peppers and just eat a cucumber. So like by the end of the week, and I had, you know, they did have, 
they didn't really have like much in, in the way of like whole grain bread or like grains and things like that. It was just rice. So like depending on what your diet is, like Charlie was there from RP, you know, he had rice and beans, like he was set. Um, they did have uh, uh, potatoes, like microwave potatoes that were like in little airtight bags. Those were good. And then they actually had like whole chicken, like chicken legs um, packaged as well but for the most part like if you're on the go everything everything has milk in it and I don't like I'm super lactose intolerant so I was literally it was just like serini and eggs and cucumber and so I was not getting a lot of like soluble fiber and by the end of the week I felt like my stomach was just wrecked because the other thing is the, the serini often contains sorbitol which has a laxative effect Really? Um, and yeah, so like that was probably the worst for me just because I was like, oh man, this is a huge diversion from what I'm normally eating. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was tough for a whole week from that. I was like, oh man, I wish I could like measure what is going on in my microbiome right now. Like what's going on in my guts. And it was rough. I think that's a good, valuable thing for people to hear. Cause you would, you guys would all be quote unquote, the experts and you're still finding shit hard. And so like, it is like a, it's difficult for people to navigate who don't know shit. Like, you, you basically just explained that there was so it all and imitation crap makes you shit. Like, most people don't know that. You're weird. So it's just interesting. Like, that's that's awesome. I think this yeah. is a really valuable takeaway for people in our industry, especially when they travel. Because I've actually sat down with Mike at dinner a couple of times. Sure enough, he's like, I look at the menu and figuring out what the macros mm-hmm. are. And yet he's still enjoying things. We yeah. definitely, and I am super guilty of this. Okay, I'm on vacation three or four days, and then I'll just end up ordering and eating like way crappier stuff than usual. Mm-hmm. So, and then of course, there's often alcohol involved too, so things kind of go out the window for three or four days. Yeah. And if we're doing that kind of stuff, and yes, it's totally okay to go on vacation, and enjoy yourself. And it, I think it's shitty advice to say to a client, hey, you got to count your macros while you're in Mexico. It's like, fuck off with that. Yeah. Stuff. But at the same time, like, oh, we're trying to and traveling makes you feel kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. A lot of my travel is conference. So maybe making better choices with the nutrition can actually help a lot with that. So it's something that you know, I actually don't like it. Now, if I'm going down to the side of the US, there's a lot of protein in there. But maybe just maybe I can actually make better choices with the other meal. Right? Get the mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, to work on just, perfect. Um, so like just in terms of sorry, my dog's really okay. Can you just repeat that last part? Well, I, I just I just said that you know, me personally, but I think us as fitness professionals when we do this, uh, we can work on being better for ourselves because we are not flawless by any means. I oh right, yeah. Who take it to that level, but I think a lot of us can be very vulnerable to this sort of stuff. And again, I don't think anyone should try to be perfect, but I think yeah. as well, we should probably try to set a good example and be a bit better if we're also turning around trying to say to clients, hey guys, you know, you travel for your work, you know, you got to do this, this, and this. Well, we're mm-hmm. actually applying it. So, and I, I have oh, a yeah. strong belief in not, not being hypocritical in telling mm-hmm. people one thing when we are not applying it. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I even go, you know, I don't really tell clients what to do ever. Um, I take a really kind of client centered approach and with the, the kind of the, um, 
skill that I use is motivational interviewing. So it's more question heavy and encouraging the client to determine their own skills, strengths, and goals based on their past experiences and really emphasizing all of the success that they've seen in the past. And then if they have faced obstacles, I'm really big on reframing obstacles as opportunities. So what challenged you in the past? And instead of being like, oh, that was a failure, it was, oh, okay, it sounds like you want to do this in a different way next time. Well, what would, what do you want to change and what has worked for you in the past? And from there, I can help them come up with their own game plan that's best for them. So if that is, you know, if they want to eat whatever they want for four days, okay, that's what they want to do. I will help them feel good about that choice and identify that that is in line with their values. Because the biggest thing is that afterwards, I want them to feel good about whatever choice they've made. Or if they want to, you know, loosely track things, they can absolutely do that. And I have gone, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I've gone out and been like, I'm not going to track away anything. I'm going to eat what I want. And you know, I know what the outcome to that is, and that's okay. Well, there's a really another cool um, study that came out comparing, uh, it was looking at whether we need to sacrifice pleasure to consider uh, ourselves to be uh, exhibiting self-control. And so they um, allowed groups of, of individuals to choose between chocolate cake and carrots. And it was not, and I asked this question and people, it's kind of like a trick question. Who has more self-control? And they're like, oh, the people who pick carrots. No, because guess what? Nobody picked the damn carrots. <laughs> like we are human beings, <laughs> you know, like people want to eat cake. So it's not about eating cake. That's not what indicates self-control failure. Self-control failure comes from your beliefs about what it means that you ate the cake. So if for you eating the cake is, oh, I broke my diet rule, oh, there's going to be bad consequences to this, then that is indicative of self-control failure because it's not in alignment with your values and your goals and your desired outcome. But if you go in there and you're like, I'm going to really enjoy this cake, I'm going to just eat as much of it as I feel good about, and then I'm going to go on and live the rest of my life. Or I'm going to eat what I want for the next four days and I'm going to go on and live the rest of my life. That's not self-control failure. That, that is um, a behavior that is in alignment with your values and your goals and beliefs. And it's just kind of we get, I think we get some of this sort of like, you know, industry and diet culture dialogue in our minds of like, oh, I don't know, like, should, should I feel bad about eating this cake? You know, what should I be doing on vacation? And so I try to help clients move away from that so that the voice that they're hearing is 100% theirs. Like, I really want to eat this cake and I'm going to enjoy it. Or I really won't enjoy this cake um, for my own reasons. And so I'm just not going to eat it or I'll eat it later when I really want it. Well, like I always tell my clients, like make your own choices. <clears throat> like, yeah. and, like understand what that choice is, but like it kind of goes back to that last thing you talked about, even with the Kaibol and infographics and stuff is like that context gets lost because basically you're, you're you're basically getting people there with their own thoughts but then they read these infographics and it's like well this is the way this person said it and then what happens when that doesn't work is like the whole thing blows up and now it's a failure and so that's mm -hmm. that's where like a lot of the stuff that people bring out it's almost too simplistic to be effective in in context for a lot of these people yeah absolutely yeah because we need to be focusing i think on habits yeah. rather than you know specific 
um, this is, yeah, this is what I had talked about when I went down to Miami. I was like, these, these bad diets and things like that, they just create rules. And then you break those rules and you feel like a failure. And that's really like the industry needs to have these rules. The industry needs you to feel like you are deficient or broken in some way because then they can sell you whatever is going to fix you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's pivot now because we're almost out of time. Uh, and we've been asking more recently uh, about the personal hobbies and things outside of work. So like we know mike is a, like a fanatic for dragon balls yes. serious if you're like sitting down on the couch while he's wearing his crocs and probably pajama pants and watching with him or uh is there something else that you use to disconnect from work um you know you know i haven't watched anime since i was like really really young dbz wasn't really my favorite so i wouldn't be opposed to watching that with him but actually like when i'm with the rp crew i would say in our free time we kind of just like I don't know, sit around and talk about like really inappropriate things that probably should not ever even be on the internet. Um, but in my, in my own free time when I'm not with them, um, I have gotten recently really, really into um, yoga and mindfulness practice and gratitude practice. So a lot of my free time is given to, and, and, and also because it's so, I think, beneficial for my clients as well that I can kind of then um, apply that to them. So I don't have like a ton. I, well, I'm, I'm struggling to have more free time and make myself take free time. Cause for a while it was just like traveling a ton. And then I would have to catch up on work and like, I'm writing a book and, you know, partway through my RD and, um, just lots of, lots of webinars and, and podcasts, which I love to do. But then I'm like, Oh wait, I need to like take a pause and focus on my mental health. So lately, um, it's been like a few times a day, I'll take a break to meditate. Um, I gratitude journal first thing in the morning. I do yoga um, at least once a day. I take walks every day almost, um, like it, unless it's horrible inclement weather. Uh, I spend time with my dogs. And I do still travel a little bit for fun but it's just a little bit more, you know, uh, laid back. So I'm, I'm actually going to be out um, going to Arizona for a couple of weeks at the end of December. So, um, yeah, um, I'm going to be going to, it's going to be like a little bit of a road trip. So flying out to Tucson yeah. and then making kind of a clock, a counterclockwise circle. So going up through Flagstaff, uh, Sedona, Flagstaff, Grand Canyon, Lake Mead, down to Joshua Tree, in SoCal and then back over to Phoenix, fly out and come back to Atlanta and then... Uh, you make me feel so stupid. I'm going for uh, my parents' old place in, in Mesa. But okay. so, but th that's like so normal. Like <laughs> where you're going is all the cool stuff. <laughs> I know, yeah. Yeah, Mesa is like down by, I think it's southeast of Phoenix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> let's wrap this up. Um, you're totally part of the RP crew, it's hilarious. <laughs> You guys have a very distinctive culture. And it's a culture yes. that inappropriateness meets intellectualism. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. Like the stuff that happens sometimes like off camera, like at our seminars and whatnot, I'm like, oh man, if only my parents could see this. Well, and hilariously, like so I work with stronger experts and Mike's even getting worse on camera. Like he's not worse, but like he brought up like the hooker in new york and like yeah <laughs> and i'm just like holy shit he's awesome anyways um <laughs> live on air on our podcast yeah. Dude, oh yeah 
he, he like posts from like pooping and stuff in in yeah and like in on the planes and whatnot. oh man did he tell you like when we were in seoul we couldn't flush our toilet paper <laughs> well that would make sense because you have to print it you have to put it in the garbage right yeah yeah did not so did not expect that like it, yeah so yeah did you guys know well, I, I've done that in Costa Rica, and like I, I asked my buddy when we were at this hostel, and he's like, "Yeah, you put in the garbage can." I'm like, "That's fucking weird." Especially like, yeah. if you call travelers diarrhea. But but usually <laughs> because it's not my shit, and it's like it's like other people's problem. I don't have to empty it. It's actually easier. Like you don't have to flush the like I don't know. Either way, I, I don't know. I, I, I hate it, but I didn't like opening up the garbage can with other people's shit. Like it's yes. Weird. Okay. <laughs> just, that's like the, okay, where, where do people? Yeah. Where, 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 where would have left after that? Yeah, we should we should have saved that Um Where do people find you? Where's the best place to kind of consume all the content and all the projects you have going on right now? Yeah, I um, I have a, I do not cultivate a very good website. I am not great at the at the internet stuff. Um, my internet presence, but Vitamin PhD is my Instagram handle. Um, and that's also my Facebook, which I'll be honest is pretty much just when I post on Instagram, it goes automatically to Facebook. So I really appreciate that people still follow me. Um, and then I'm vitaminphdnutrition.com. Um, so that's my website. They can find the list of all of the podcasts that I've done previously. Um, and then things that I've contributed to, uh, in with stronger experts, with RP plus, um, the, I have a chapter in the RP diet book 2.0, and then I have some random articles that I've written for like oxygen and shape and things like that. Uh, and then they can also, um, shoot me an email there. So I do coaching through RP and I also do consulting through vitamin PhD nutrition. So, um, when people come to me with like GI issues, I consult with them via vitamin PhD nutrition. If they're interested in RP coaching, then they can reach out to me for RP coaching as well. Cool. Any, any speaking engagements you have coming up that people need to know about? Um, no, I'm actually, I took like a little bit of a hiatus because I need to freaking finish my, my RD courses and do my internships and stuff. But I am looking at, um, the ISSN conference and that's coming up in March in Tokyo, not as a speaking engagement, but I want to go there. So if people see me there, come say hi. The only thing that I have that it's not been announced yet, but I do have, um, confirmed, uh, I have agreed to do one in July. So that's the next one. But yeah, other than that, like the year is kind of up in the air. I just did my last one um, with Eric back on the 24th of November. So um, yeah, I don't know when I'll be back out in the public eye again. That's okay. I think it's good. I think if we learn anything, you have to take time for yourself. Yes. Yeah. A lot of the people we have on and it's good. It's good that people busy like you still take care of that shit. Cause like, I think that there's this, this or around people doing stuff or people that are part of our peer with all these fitness things that they're just go, 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 go. And they don't have a life. They don't take care of themselves. But like, it's, 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 it's hard. Yeah. This is why, you know, we asked a question about leisure time and stuff. And it's, it's something that we're sort of pivoting into because we've also had a big focus on you know, being more productive, being more prolific with content creation. It's a common mm -hmm. conversation in our industry. And obviously when people listen to this a little bit, a few weeks, but I just released an article today on a friend's website about, creating more and consuming less and being strategic mm -hmm. in how you consume things. Um, yeah. So that's something that just, I think is really important because when a lot of the people who are working really hard to establish themselves are seeing all these successful people and it seems like these successful people are doing it all and how the hell do they do it? And all of a sudden personal leisure and sleep and other things get sacrificed as these people are stressing out about it. Yeah. That's not the answer to help them. So we're mm -hmm. trying to encourage them to put their energy in the right way. 
Now, yeah. I hope everybody enjoyed this. Uh, Gabriel, it was really great to get you on. Like, it, as our messages have been, trying to get you for a little while. We appreciate that. This finally worked. Um, yes. I'm going to pull Melissa Davis on really soon, too. So for anybody who knows RP, she's another one of the team, another one of the doctors, the big doctors. Mm -hmm. that, big doctor. <laughs> yeah. I am a big doctor. Fuck. No, no. I am, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I tell people, like, I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we just had a guest on who was saying that, right? It was uh, it was actually Dr. John Russin, right? And he's a doctor mm -hmm. in therapy. So he called himself a fake doctor, and then he kind of went through the list of that. So uh, anyone who's listening to this episode, that would have been the last one you'll get. And so you'll kind of get the reference. But the, the whole <clears throat> excuse me, RP team, uh, James Hopkins has been on this a couple of times now. Uh, Mike's, been Mike's been on a few times, I think. One was a big group one with, a, with Spencer Adolski. And yeah. they're some of our favorite guests. And you guys are really funny. And I always go down to every summer, there's a RP event in Calgary. So that's near Edmonton. So some friends of mine run that. And so I go down and hang out with Mike and James. And Melissa was there last year. So and they're planning on doing something in the summer. So kind of hoping that you'll be included in that one. But yeah. uh, if you guys enjoyed this episode, I hope you go check out those other ones. And if you're finding us for the first time, because you know you saw it on Gabrielle's social media, then yeah, dig into our other library because we've had a lot of guests who have you know similar levels of of education and repute in our industry, and we want you guys to you know find more of these great people and hopefully you like what we're doing because we're going to continue to put out great episodes with our industry. So thank you so much. Thank you. Shut up and sit down.